was reading it just now, I almost wanted to like slip into a Paul Bettany voice, but I'm like, ah. If uh, Blast from the Past taught me anything, bunkers <laughs> aren't as big as you want them to be, right? <laughs> Hello everyone and welcome to the inaugural episode of Culture Society of America. I am Bud Cobb and this is my co-host and long friend, Nick Ramos. Nick, say hi to the people. What is up, everybody? Two experts about geek mania. That is so close to the truth. It hurts. It hurts so bad. It really so, do, I mean, We've been nerding out for a long time. <laughs> so I imagine that um, we're going to look back on this episode in years later after we've built our podcast empire. We're going <laughs> to we're going to be like these two beautiful idiots didn't know what the hell they were doing at the time. But absolutely. Like when we have our interview with Joe Rogan, he's like, what were y'all thinking? <laughs> <laughs> he's like, y'all didn't talk about aliens. Y'all didn't talk about conspiracy <laughs> theories. I don't even know if you were smoking pot. What the hell is the point of that? So no, not during um, the podcast, obviously. No, not there. We, we podcast responsibly. So, um, before we get into our main topic today, which uh, Nick and I are going to be discussing WandaVision um, with uh, Elizabeth Olsen, Paul Bettany, Catherine Hahn, and many, many others, um, mm-hmm. I am going go. to take a second and just talk about some, some things in the week that I am uh, very geeked about, very excited about, and uh, I'm going to start it off right off the top. Um, Nick, earlier... Earlier today, I told you that I went to a comic store in Flower Mound, Texas called 2011 Comics. Mm-hmm. And while I was in there, I found um, the number one issue of Doomsday Clock. And nice. for those who don't know, Doomsday Clock was DC's um, and basically bringing the Watchmen universe into the main continuity. And um, awesome. yeah, and it was uh, it was. Um, one of the first series I read from start to finish, but I got a late start, so I was really excited to find this number one issue. But to, I'm sure another day I will do like a whole book report on Doomsday Clock. But to um, dive off of that, the writer Jeff Johns, who has done things like Blackest Night and other things for DC like Green Lantern, he is doing a uh, an image comp image comics story with uh the same artist from doomsday clock and um and it's called geiger so awesome the base yeah the basic premise is um nukes fall and uh, a man is trying to get to his fallout shelter with his family inside and he doesn't make it in time he gets vaporized as we think by the nukes oh goes goes forward 20 years later um, and people are walking around in the uh, radioactive wasteland, and, but this All guy status, bro. Yeah, yeah, and um, but and, but this guy it turns out is still alive, and he is walking around without a radioactive suit, and he turns into like this green, glowy skeleton kind of looking guy. Mm. And on the on the surface, I'm like, okay, I don't know what like is it just going to be a post-apocalypse where I don't even know what this guy's motivation is necessarily because yeah. um, it's just him and where I'm, I'm assuming where he is is where his family's fallout shelter is. And then you find out at the end of the story 
the of issue one, uh, he is guarding the fallout shelter that his family is supposedly still in. Gotcha. He hasn't opened it partially because I think he's radioactive, but because the land is also radioactive. So yeah, but he's trying he, to protect them. I mean, how cool is that? I mean, especially with the name and everything, I was hoping it would have some type of tie-in with radioactivity or something along those lines. And uh-huh. and even just the beginning that you've set up is pretty poetic, you know, because yeah. it, it makes you think right away, like, where have you been all this time? Why aren't you in there? But he's been out there just protecting them so that they can live what meek or mild life they were able to live inside some type of fallout shelter just surviving. Right. And one of my, one of my theories already for this series is that eventually you find out that there's a bunch of uh, gangs uh, about two hours from his location in Las Vegas. And they, because of the world that they live in now, you know, food is a hot commodity. And yeah. this guy was a doomsday prepper. So he has the food. He has he has the means to live uh live outside of normal conditions for regular people. So he can scavenge food and things like that. And so I feel like you can kind of see where it's leading up is that the gangs are gonna catch wind of this guy. They're gonna try and parlay with him. They're gonna find out he has a bomb shelter mm-hmm. that potentially has food. And they're going to open nice. it up. And I, I think his family, it's been 20 years. I'm thinking his family yeah. might be dead. I don't want that to I be mean, the case. But if he hasn't even opened the shelter at all, I mean, you have no idea of what's going on in the inside, especially in 20 years. Do you know how many changes in, in that small society could have happened? I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's a lot of time to pass by. Plus, he already has like this Dr. Manhattan thing going on with him. So like yeah. you said earlier, the radiation, I mean, should he even be near his daughter? Because he can you imagine the pain of like killing your own daughter from radiation poisoning just because you wanted to be close to her? Knowing yeah. that you were the fault, that's that's gotta be yeah. that's gotta be a lot of pain to carry. Yeah, yeah. He's got um his wife, his daughter, and his son are all in there. And it's mm-hmm. kind of um I'm call I'm calling it right now like Geiger colon Schrodinger's family, because they are both alive Mm. and not alive at the same time as long as he doesn't open that door they are both alive and not alive so but they're also yeah not living their lives because they're just stuck in a bomb shelter you know Mm -hmm. like then then comes the next ethical question of like what is life right like is life just being here and existing or is life taking up space is it going out in the world is it having experiences that are beyond you know uh I don't know how big the bunker is, but I can't imagine it's super big. Exactly. I think if um, glass from the past taught me anything, bunkers (laughs) aren't as big as you want them to be, right? (laughs) I love that movie. I think that is one of the most underrated movies of our time, too. It is. Yeah. When um, uh, I can't remember his uh, character's name, but when Brendan Fraser goes out for the first time and um, is staring at the sky, that's one of those things where I'm like, huh, I don't think as a creator, as a writer, I would have ever thought to think of someone who's lived underground his whole life has never seen the sky. Yeah, and he's, for sure. he's just staring at it and then going into the first person perspective, because it's beyond just writing a character that goes through it. You want to actually go through the actions with him, right? It makes it relatable to whoever's going to be watching it. Yeah. And for him to see the sky for the first time or someone to see the ocean for the first time or see the mountains for the first time, right? That's got to be crazy. And they did such a good job in that movie. Brendan Fraser is one of my all-time favorites. I love mm-hmm. all the stuff that he does. I think that uh, even the newer stuff that he's been able to do with Doom Squad, that's that's been phenomenal. And Doom, Doom he Patrol. Carries, 
Doom Patrol, yeah. And he yeah, carries, yeah. I think, a lot of his iconic role with, you know, the mummy. That'll live mm-hmm. with him forever. And if you ever saw, it's, uh, let's see, I think it's called Bewitched? No, Bedazzled. Yeah, Bedazzled. Bedazzled. <laughs> That's another one of his just comedic genius moments that, like, he's just not given enough chops for. Um, well, get, I mean, the mummy's funny alone, but in that one, it's just... Yeah, dude. He just nails them all, too, and does a great job. Yeah. I'm a huge, huge Brendan Fraser fan. Yeah, add that to the list. Bedazzled at some point. Yeah, yeah. But I need to end up finishing Doom Patrol, too. I was able to get about three seasons through that. Um, I like the rest of the cast that kind of came with that, too, because you had some Firefly influences in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I never able was able to finish it. I think DC's done a really good job of taking some of these smaller stories that we weren't paying attention to and expanding them. Yeah. Um, like Doom, I didn't really know much about this. I mean, even Watchmen, I didn't know too, too much about until the theatrical release, right? Yeah. I think that's a lot for majority of the geek world. I mean, you can only read so much. And if you're not just a geek to go out and research stuff and go to Wikipedia and everything else and do your research on lore that you're not reading comics for, Mm -hmm. it's hard to keep up with that kind of stuff. So it becomes mainstream when movies are made about it. So Watchmen finally got their day in the sun. And I'm so glad that they did because it was a nitty gritty version of superheroes that we hadn't seen before at all. Like the only thing before that was like, remember like Spider-Man one and stuff like, like nothing was even close to being as nitty gritty as that was. Mm -hmm. Maybe I think even sucker punch came out after that. Sucker punch came out, came out after Watchmen. And uh, I think a lot of people started cooling on Zack Snyder after sucker punch. But um, Mm. DC, it's so funny thinking about DC's track record because they were they were almost setting the bar for a minute with the Dark Knight trilogy. And then they were pushing Mm -hmm. the envelope with doing something like Watchmen, whether it succeeded or failed is kind of, you know, personal, a matter of personal opinion. But um, I think a lot of a lot of Watchmen worked for me in a lot of uh, a lot of aspects. But it's yeah. it's funny to look at what DCU at the DCEU is now trying to do. Like before, they were they were setting the bar with Dark Knight and Watchmen, and now they're trying to play catch up with the MCU. And it's uh, for better. I don't think it's really working right now. I don't know what they have planned for Flashpoint, but from yeah, they've never been able to land first place though, have they? Mm. Like they've always come, come, come in second place. They're always <laughs> landing silver. I mean, even though Batman did well for them, that that's pretty much all they had. Mm-hmm. And then content I mean, they should have taken that continuing motion and that momentum that they had on Dark Knight and just gone into a Robin series with Joseph Gordon Levitt because they had it built up, they had the character ready to go. You had the same director that I assume would have worked on more films. Mm-hmm. Even if you take just that subset and turn it into a series today, it would go really well. DC's Titans, I've only done one episode of that, but I've heard that that's gone really well, and that's a very hardcore, gritty Robin. So yeah. imagine Joseph Gordon-Lovett really getting into the character. Yeah. I That would probably be, I mean, Robin for the ages, you know, Nightwing for the ages or wherever he ends up fully becoming in the end i think they could do i think a nightwing series would have been a really good launching off point from that because the robin character is kind of always like a um like it's always tied with batman and that's the whole thing with nightwing yeah. he becomes nightwing to kind of break away from that and so it would it would make more sense for nightwing but yeah you're right the robin and titans 
the Titans show is pretty good, actually. I like nice. I like most. Of yeah, it, and I've so. heard good things about it. I think it's getting it has what uh, one or two seasons now, right? Two like years, even yeah. WandaVision doesn't have two seasons. See that that blows my mind that that didn't get two seasons right off the bat, which I guess is a pretty good segue into WandaVision. Yeah, yeah. So, where do we want to get started? Like, what do we what do we think of this? First of all, like if you had to give this a a, a one out of ten rating, where are you where are you ranking this? I'm giving it a 9 out of 10, and I'm a fanboy for a lot of stuff that, that's able to come out and be quality content, but I would give WandaVision a 9 out of 10. It's, mm-hmm. it's masterfully written, uh, poetically written, and now that I've gone back and rewatched it a couple times now too, the foreshadowing of some of the dialogue to what actually happens later on is just so just simple in its design. Uh, not to mention... I mean, you look at the cast, right? Paul Bettany can carry this entire series on his own, let alone you're looking at Elizabeth Olsen, who has grown up throughout the entire Marvel Universe and is now revered as one of the better actors of the Marvel Universe. I mean, I never saw that coming from the first time we saw Wanda Maximoff. I never would have assumed she'd become, you know, even bigger than Pepper Potts. Like, that's mm-hmm. that, that, that's crazy, you know, to try to fathom because Pepper Potts mean eventually Iron Woman. So they did a great job. I definitely give it a 9 out of 10. Plus, they brought back in a lot of sub-characters that everybody wanted to see. Mm-hmm. You got Wu, you know, you had Darcy, uh, a lot of those. So they did a great job. Yeah, I think with, uh, definitely with, like, characters like Wu, when he's, like, not necessarily taking over the internet during some of his episodes but people are now calling for he should get his own kind of like x-files type of show where he just his goes, own spinoff yeah he just dude. goes and investigates imagine him and darcy yeah. just running off to look at stuff yeah <laughs> like we would all watch that 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 was what you know a good chunk of wandavision was because <clears throat> you're watching two tv shows at the same time one is the entire reality within the hex, which is its own thing. And then we end up giving getting these little snippets of what's going on in the outside world. So um, the fact that he was able to be split was really cool, too, because you were following two completely different stories that were tied together in a way, but also not. I think um, one of my notes that I wrote while I was watching it is kind of um, they could do like a Fargo-esque type of series where we got the WandaVision and then that, that mm-hmm. whole series. And then the, if they want to continue with this type of platform of like putting it on Disney plus, it could be like WandaVision colon the Jimmy Woo files or, yeah. or WandaVision colon. I had a vision with white vision now running, running around out there, you know, things like that. Yeah, so man. I think, um, I think the show worked on a lot of levels and it was it's one of those things where i i was charmed by the very first episode because because (laughs) of how yeah no pun intended um because of how paul bettany and elizabeth olsen just kind of commanded my attention in this because we're just thrust into that black and white sitcom episode those first three episodes oh yeah dude and they slid into those roles so easily too like as an actor i can't imagine it's it's easy learning different characters but imagine learning to play a different character in different eras and different stuff like that like like there's so many different things that you would have to think about Mm -hmm. in your mannerisms and everything else 
that's got to be hard hard to do. Oh yeah, with like uh, '50s era sitcoms, you know, you watch something like the Dick Van Dyke Show. It's a lot of um, physical comedy, and they're you know, it's very loud and it's very it's playing to the back of the room a lot of the time. And then as it progresses, when you know by that final episode, Wanda and Vision are having that moment alone in their house, and it's quiet, and they're next to each other they're they're playing to like the person in the front row yeah it it kind of it goes from loud and boisterous and you know pay attention over here to we get down to what this show was all about was the grief and the the loss of of uh vision for wanda which i mean and it totally makes sense too i think that's another part of the really smart writing right like they take something that's so genuine and real in society like the loss of a loved one and then coping mechanisms with that, and then put that into a TV show, right? Like that's all that it is, is Wanda's coping mechanisms as she's trying to go through this. Mm -hmm. So mental health being more and more important every day, which is great that society's actually like taking it more seriously, but to have a whole show dedicated to how we process grief. Uh, and I think one of the biggest quotes in the whole thing was when Wanda and Vision were on a bed and they're going through these visions and he says that, Love is the, or let's see, knows grief is the persistence of love, mm. even though someone's passed on. And I thought that was really awesome. So every episode, they kind of hit, you know, on something a little bit different. But towards the end, they really focus on more about her mental health and the fact that the Scarlet Witch was forged, not created. Like every bit of it, you had to go through these dark experiences, just like in our lives, right? Mm. To, to appreciate those good experiences and then to turn into what we are now. I mean, her whole story wouldn't have been what it was without every single bad thing happening to her, especially to create something as dark as the Scarlet Witch. Mm -hmm. Yep, absolutely. And yeah, the quote specifically is, what is grief if not love persevering? And yeah, it's just, it, when you when I read it, I'm like, I, when I was reading it just now, I almost wanted to like slip into a Paul Bettany voice, but I'm like, ah. Probably not going to do it as much justice, but when you read it and you, that just kind of talks to how good Bettany is and how maybe underappreciated he went for a long time because it's, yeah. he, in that moment, you know, he is vision. He is still, he is not the vision by the time we get to WandaVision. He is vision, I think, before Civil War, so... He is fresh vision, yeah. very fresh. Yeah. yeah, and so he is still learning, you know, human nature and human nuances, human emotion, yeah. right? Like what it is, like how they work, like, and then to have like some silly human next to him crying in the other room, like he doesn't come in like a robot to like get over it now. Like, yeah, <laughs> he's learning. He's emoting. He's evolving. He takes, yeah, he takes that moment and use as a learning experience and then you know he also has the world's database at his disposal so he could probably like mm -hmm. phone up on you know human emotions pretty quickly but <laughs> um it's it's i was listening to um an interview with him and he was talking about how before he got the call for vision he was convinced he was done in terms of working for hollywood he said Okay. He said that um, he had done, I think he had done um, Knight's Tale and um, Master and Commander at that point. And he was doing the voice work 
for Jarvis and for guys like you and me, when we saw Iron Man in the theater, we we're like, oh my God, that's Paul Bettany. That's Nightsale, dude. Yeah. Like we knew that. Absolutely. But, you know, maybe, I don't know the inner workings or the, the, um, ideology in Hollywood, but according to Bettany, it was basically, well, I'm just doing voice work. I'm probably out the door pretty soon. And he, hmm. he decided, um, this, I can see that. Yeah, this is according to his interview. He decided that if he was going to be out, he wanted to try and go out on his own terms or take one last shot. So he had his agent set up a meeting with a an agent who Bettany knew for a fact didn't like him, but he wanted that meeting anyway. And they they come into the room. The producer immediately tells him, you're never working in this town again. And Bettany, according to him, said um, – He's like, well, things change, and you better mind manners, and then mm-hmm. and then walked out, and then he said immediately he collapsed and was sitting on the curb and be like, yeah, just like, yeah, I am done in this town, and then he got the call from Joss Whedon to wow, how is it? How does that I, happen? You know? I don't know. That's a, it. Sounded very movie esque. I was like, <sighs> on the same day? Are you sure you're not? Baby? Yeah, but I mean, a lot of those things are. You know, I mean, they always say it. it life happens when you're busy making plans Mm -hmm. and that's that's phenomenal i think voice acting doesn't hold the same merit it does today Mm -hmm. i think back then voice acting did have a little bit of a lesser Mm -hmm. um it just just kind of knocked in society oh you couldn't be a real actor right like oh you quit movies so you have a tv show like like there's all these like levels that actors progress and i imagine backstepping must have been hard for him only to realize that the world around him and Hollywood was about to change, considering we're going to be focusing on digital content that's going to be sent directly to viewers and adult animation is just through the roof. Bob's Burgers is, is insanely popular. So voice acting is just on a whole nother level mm-hmm. now. Um, so for him to make that, that, that quick backtrack only into a full sprint forward, that must have been absolutely crazy. And then to be able to get his own little spinoff with Wanda too, not being one of the main Avengers too, coming in only as an AI, that's got to be a cool experience for him. I don't even think, I doubt that both of them knew this would have happened long, long ago. Without the advent of Disney Plus, it wouldn't have happened. It would have been a movie that would have been, you know, two hours long and it probably would have gotten terrible reviews because they would have tried to cram the content. And instead of Back then, we got movies where Bettany would would have gone out to do one two-hour movie. Now he does 10 two-hour movies, you know, 10 episodes or whatever it is. So we're able to get more content, and he's able to act more. I don't think that any of those actors really could have been able to tell the wave that was coming because back then, we also perceived cheap Netflix content as being bad. It wasn't up to par where it is now, where you have – other shows like Sabrina that was brought back and done on like a completely different level, which is another one of my favorite, another one of my favorites. And they even brought back a secondary character too. They brought back the ants in that show. So let's talk about that aspect. I mean, the fact that Wanda brought back a character, you know, or I guess it was Agnes brought back a character. Are you talking in terms of uh, um, Pietro? Her brother. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I that was crazy when they when they recast when they got Evan Peters. First of all, I was like, okay, this confirms it. We are getting X Men. X Men are coming into the MCU hot, crossing universes, right? Yeah, coming in hot. You better batten down the hatches. (laughs) Sword is out there, and they're gonna be like, like I I was on the phone with maybe it was you, maybe it was someone else, but I I was like, 
look, there's going to be an episode where Sword's going to be like, I don't know how we're going to get through here. And then someone in the back, I don't know who is going to be like, I know a guy. And then they make a call. And then it would be, it would be um, Xavier wheeling in and trying to penetrate the hex to contact, uh, to contact Wanda. And then he would send Quicksilver in. I was like, this is, it's all going to play out just like this. That would have been cool, man. I was like, absolutely. I think this is exactly how it's going to go the whole time. And, they did none of that, which is okay. But <laughs> I wish we could have done it though. I've been waiting for across the universes for a long time. But to pick someone who also has super speed, like that's why it's so strange and mind bottling for me. Like I kept seeing Quicksilver over and over again, right? And I had to remind myself that's not Quicksilver. Because like I kept thinking, what the heck is Quicksilver doing in this universe, even though it's the same actor playing a different character, right? So that's that's confusing as a viewer, especially if you're a nerd and pay attention to stuff, because, I mean, there was no reason for an X-Men to be in WandaVision. My, my <laughs> think it's, I don't, I don't think that they would have wasted our time with just a kind of tongue-in-cheek type of thing. So I feel like this is going to be playing into the bigger, sprawling event that we're going to get eventually. Mm. And you have, you know, Doctor Strange's multiverse of madness coming in next yeah, year. Yeah, so that's probably where that's going to come in. You have, Good point. yeah, you have Spider Man, the unconfirmed, but everyone knows con- confirmation that Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield, those Spider Men are going to be playing a role in uh, No Way Home later this year. Gotcha. And, Which is bringing in the same theme of the Spider Verse, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so, so multiverse, Spider Verse. You know, everything. That's awesome. Yeah, I really hope they do. I wonder at this point if they're, like, they'll go as far as to get Evan Peters in to play the same not character that he played before. I wonder if we're Mm -hmm. now going to get that fan casting of Donald Glover playing Miles Morales. Mm. That That would be cool, man. It would would be good. I think maybe he's aged out at this point. I don't know. I mean, the money talk so i mean maybe they'll get them in yeah and it depends on the time frame that they're looking for too they could always claim that it's uh, an aged mild morales as well Mm -hmm. so i mean and and that whole spider-verse enter the spider-verse that's one of my favorite movies too yeah sony did what i thought was impossible they made a hundred characters from one character Mm -hmm. like they only had the rights to one character so what do you do with that you know (laughs) what i mean and they did a genius move by saying, all right, well, we're just going to make it a multiverse with all these different Spider-Men and anybody could be a Spider-Man or it could be in a different universe. Mm-hmm. And I, I just thought it was so powerful. The animation was through the roof. The fact that they got the secondary, who was the other uh, Spider-Man in that? Nick Miller from New Girl. Yeah, Jake Johnson. His voice acting. Yeah, his voice acting did a great job. Like just all these voice acting opportunities for what we had perceived when we were younger to be like actors out the door actually yeah. just making their way up. Yeah. Um, and Sony's doing a, done a great job with that one too, throughout the entire Spider-Verse stuff that they did already. Well, you know who, you know, who played the blonde version of Peter Parker, the one that died uh, with miles in miles's universe, you know, who was voicing that guy, Chris Pine, Chris Pine. Yeah. They got Chris. Yeah. Chris Strong Pine. voice actors, bro. They got Nick Cage to play Spider-Man. And Catherine Hahn played Doc. Ock. Yeah. <laughs> Full circle. <laughs> back to our kids. Look you, man. <laughs> it's like we scripted that. By the way, we did not. I know. That, so. <laughs> 
Yeah, and let's talk about her as an actor. She did a great job. I had no idea from the beginning. Again, good writing that she was the bad guy. I knew that she had something to do with it because you can always tell, like, well, they're cast for a reason, right? Like, they're not just an actor you don't know. They're a well-known actor for a reason. Right. But to end up being, like, the entire bad guy the whole time. And then to also introduce us to a whole new realm of power inside the Marvel Universe, which is the world of witchcraft. Yes. We haven't yeah. seen anything about it. If you go back and watch the movies, Wanda is the only Avenger that Thanos is actually afraid of. And Captain There's Marvel. a scene when they're fighting. Well, uh, Captain Marvel has the power, right? But when I'm talking about, I guess, the original build and battle mm -hmm. when Thanos is fighting everybody else. There's only one moment when Thanos says, send the ships in and he tries to destroy all of his men. Oh yeah. Rain and that fire, was when yeah. Wanda. Yeah. When he says that it was because Wanda was on top. Mm -hmm. I mean, she just had so much power. So to see her be compared to Thanos in any instance is really cool. So to see the power of witchcraft be possible, without the infinity stones so not only just absent from the infinity stones but just be powerful on its own it makes you wonder where is all this energy where is the lore i mean we saw agnes she's in purple right we have the scarlet witch she's in red the coven of witches was all in blue i mean there's so much lore to go into and i really wish we got to see a little bit more of agnes's background in the salem days because mm. that was really cool to see i think they're um they're now i think it goes into the tie of like eventually bringing in the x-men because now they're venturing out past like the normal ideas of like how these people get their powers now they're bringing they're introducing witchcraft and mm -hmm. as they explore that i feel like there's in one of those episodes when the bomb hits their apartment and there's there's her and her brother they show them under the bed yep. and watching that bomb, hoping it doesn't go off. And they kind of gave us the impression that Wanda was willing it to not detonate. And yeah, yeah. I think it's one of those things where it's going to, there's, they're again going to be edging towards that precipice of bringing in the X Men of like people have powers all along, but. It took yeah. her interaction with the Infinity Stone to finally activate her. And so mm -hmm. I think as they keep going on and whatever they're doing in Multiverse of Madness, and Wanda is a big part of that as well, I think we're going to start seeing. I'm just very geeked to see what they do with X-Men, first of all. I'm, I'm nervous. Well, I'm not nervous because they pretty much... Well, any remake would be. Any any new, you know, coming up out of it. I mean, look at the last Fantastic Fours. Those did not do yeah. very well. <laughs> they, they Neither did some of the X-Men. Pretty much when in the MCU gets their hands on a property, they are able to make it viable. I mean, they took, yeah. they took a, a title that had a talking tree and a raccoon and turned it into yeah. like one of my top fives so absolutely yeah and then to give the raccoon a voice like a voice actor that would never pick up you know a raccoon voice but brought so much character to it like uh, what the heck <laughs> yeah and Groot as well so much emotion in both of those characters i mean it it goes down to you know the thought that marvel puts into stuff it's the details. It's the foreshadowing. It's the let's leave this Easter egg here, even if we don't end up using it. Like 
And I don't think that DC has ever been able to match that. You go back and watch some of the good DC stuff, even Justice League and some other things. They did a little bit of foreshadowing, creating, uh, you know, that team, but it wasn't on the level that it is with Marvel. And Marvel just keeps peppering in these small little Easter eggs all over the place. And just each one of them leads towards another possible storyline. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think we need to pay attention to that because one of the things is that we got to pay attention to like items, right? In the Marvel universe, items seem to hold a lot of power. It's not necessarily like uh, a, a, a certain person, a certain race or a certain bloodline. It seems to be based around stones or even the necklace that was around Pietro's neck. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like there seems to be a draw towards items. So if we pay attention towards these items as we go through the series, I think we can kind of look ahead and kind of think like, okay, where are they going to go with this? Where could they go? Because Agnes is still alive. That that necklace still exists and holds a lot of her power. Um, and they haven't even gotten into the Captain Marvel realm either, which is a whole nother power level, as mm-hmm. well as a whole nother realm that's beyond our understanding because everything that we see is on earth going into captain marvel when i was thinking about the kind of hierarchy of like who is like the most powerful and i go i think about um the the fight that you were just alluding to with uh, thanos of like wanda had him on the ropes and he had to basically blitz his Mm -hmm. own uh his own squadron to get out of that situation. And then later in that same fight, when he tries to headbutt Captain Marvel and she's like unfazed and he needed the power stone to like do any damage to her. I was Mm -hmm. thinking about those two both got their powers from infinity stones. So that's why they were able to kind of hold their own with him a little more compared to the others and um and they say that captain america was able to hold his own for as long as he was only because the i I guess it's the was it the soul stone as well as like the other stones were able or i think one of them deals with willpower right and it was able to sense captain america's willpower in that moment right and that's why you're able to see him actually hold him off even for two seconds is a big deal for yeah. someone with only super soldier serum pumped in him going against a cosmic being and he almost eternal. Right. Um, and that, that was just really cool to see that small little detail. I, I'm, I'm a big fan of going through any type of nerd ranking system that has you like, Oh, small little details that you mm-hmm. didn't catch in the Marvel universe. Right. I watch those things and look at those all the time. Yeah. I'm trying to remember. Um, I do. I know in that cap in that first captain america movie they talk about um red skull when he administered the serum to himself and then i don't think he had possession of the tesseract just yet so i was trying to think of like maybe that serum was exposed to the tesseract in some way but i think he was red skull then found the tesseract so i don't know i don't know if that yeah it could have been both the tesseract itself puts off radiation right so Mm -hmm. like you have to imagine that that affects it to some degree anybody that's been around any of these like stones has like changed a little bit even if they want to admit it or not so i'm not sure i mean if it could have been a super soldier serum gone wrong could have been the combo of that with your radiation or it could have been the fact that like maybe 
these stones themselves, I don't believe them to be just neutral. You know, I don't, I think that maybe they are good because vision is the mind stone, right? Which makes sense because the mind stone could have its own personality, but each of these stones seem to be drawn to beings. They seem to be drawn uh, to individuals. Um, and it, I want to think that they're all neutral to good in nature, not necessarily neutral to chaotic bad. Mm -hmm. And if you ever played D&D, &D, you can kind of gauge that scale, right? Like they can only be used for like, they can be used for, for bad, but generally would prefer to be used for good. That's why, again, Vision showed himself to Wanda in which you finally see in WandaVision, that little instance where Vision and Wanda had their moment but all the people in the lab saw was just a complete second or two seconds of time that just disappeared. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to... And the, the fact that, like, I mean, what is the Guardians of the Galaxy? He's able to have this connection because of his dad's blood to that purple stone as well. I mean, yeah. there's just... I have a feeling they have to be drawn towards being used for good mm -hmm. as the reason they exist. Well, I'm trying to remember with... Um, uh, especially with Vision, when he when he became vision it was in ultron and ultron was brought in from the mind stone as well and so i'm just i'm trying to i'm gonna have to go back and watch that movie again to kind of figure out what went right with vision and what went wrong with uh with ultron and i think it partly had to do with ultron was developed as a security protocol as a defense yes. program and so the first thing I think I remember uh, when he comes online, he accesses the worldwide database and starts going through American, no, like world history and seeing mm -hmm. that the pro the common denominator in war was humans. And then, uh, and then later when they bring in um, vision, I'm trying to remember, like, I'm just trying to reconcile of, so, is yeah, it, we're, we got to separate like vision and Jarvis, right? See, yeah. we've, can, we've, we've connected the two in our minds, but they're not the same, right? Right. Jarvis is the voice and AI that everything comes through. Jarvis had no previous memories before that, maybe some mild ones associated with Tony Stark. But that's why I think that like, it's the stone itself that was drawn to her but that also must have been the essence of what vision is being a nice guy, caring about people, all that kind of stuff. And then the skin is just Jarvis, right? That is the AI. That's his voice. That's the way he looks and everything else. Because originally vision was created to be the body for Ultron. Yes. Yeah. That's why they decided, well, we need a stock gap. What can we do? The only other mild conscious that we have available to put into this thing would be Jarvis. So they threw Jarvis in. Mm -hmm. yeah. Because I was talking to Megan about that earlier. I mean, it's really cool that everything had to happen the way it happened for it all to work out. Right. Because if Ultron didn't go around the world looking for top scientists to create him a new body, vision never would have existed at all right plus the body that would have existed would have been completely different because mm -hmm. um, what tony stark is able to make is nowhere near what vision became and it's nowhere near what you see sword taking apart when they take apart vision's body yeah like the cybernetic technology that built him is not even close to what 
Tony Stark can create. He can create iron suits, but he can't create an entire cybernetic being. Mm -hmm. So for them to be able to jump all the way forward and create a brand new vision is something that I have a lot of questions about <laughs> because technically, technically the new vision should not have been able to phase. That should not have been a power option for that vision in the slightest. I get you may have given him some type of power reactor that was similar to Iron Man, right? Mm -hmm. He's going to be able to shoot beams. He's going to be super strong. He can fly. I get that. And even that doesn't make sense because people can't fly in real life, right? But to phase through things, that is Vision's main power. I don't think that we as humans have been able to come up with the technology to not only replicate a brand new being that happens to exist in the world, but also replicate his main power, which is phasing through things. Right. I would say that they, I will give them, I will give them a pass on that one because they had that vision built and how did they power it from that drone that had passed through the hex that was saturated mm -hmm. in hex energy. Where does the hex energy come from? From Wanda. Where did Wanda get her powers? The, mm -hmm. The Mind Stone. Where did Vision come from? Yeah. The Mind Stone. So I will, yeah, I will connect it there that they, uh, they had the power source of the, um, of that Infinity Stone from that drone, and so that's how they were able to work around that. I'll give them. I'll yeah, because she's been, that. she's carried part of the Mind Stone with her ever since they had their connection. Mm -hmm. You know, that's why she's been able to make that, that copy of him. Well, and beyond that, when you see. When you see the two, which I love their logic battle, like that's so Jarvis, right? <laughs> Jarvis getting into a fight with himself about how, you know, one thing should exist or shouldn't exist. I thought that was really cool too. In a library of all places, yeah. right? Having a mental battle. That was so cool. They should they should have just like pulled, I, they should have just like anim uh, like they should have materialized a couple of uh, uh smoking chairs and gotten some pipes and like just had their legs crossed <laughs> yeah. discussing it. They could have had like a whole cutscene there, yeah, of like the crew going in, you know, that would have been pretty yeah. funny. Even if they just took them down for a second, right? Mm. And they're at like the craft services table, like grabbing a donut <laughs> or something like that. You're like, so you're telling me, right? I exist, <laughs> but I don't exist. Yeah. I well he touches him on the forehead and you see whatever small bit that vision had of himself, I think he put a little bit of himself into the new white vision because you can see a little bit of yellow leave his finger and go into the new vision um, because, I mean, she lost vision and her children. Like, friggin' Scarlet Witch, she definitely is forged, man. Anything she loves just gets taken away from her. She's seen him die three times. She saw her kids die. Um, and then to have it all wrap up again for Disney to just tee it off, too, to have it end with her going through the Book of the Dam for an opportunity to bring her children back to life and to bring Paul Bettany back to life, knowing fully knowing now that it probably shouldn't happen and it will affect all of existence yep. because of her own selfish interests. But again, I'm super excited. I think that they have an opportunity now to take Scarlet Witch down a darker path that she may not be able to control. Right. Now that she's into this Charizard form, I don't know if she's going to be able to fully control her power. Yeah. Um, because she's been able to do a lot of things naturally. And that was one of the coolest lines, too, that they had written so perfectly was when Agnes had said to her, like, 
you know, girl, your problem is not power. Your problem's knowledge. And Agnes had taught her transmutation spells, like all these different things. And it's all about knowledge to end up being her with a book, just going through it at like a thousand miles an hour. Doctor Strange status. Yeah. I'm going to put it out there. Yeah. Making the connection. I just, I really hope that they go into season two. And that's why I don't know how season two was not primed and ready to go because it had a huge following, even after just episode one. And The Witcher on Netflix was like <laughs> already set up for season two before season one even premiered, you know? And that didn't even have a following yet. And I get, you know, you got to be a little cautious going into it, but off the heels of Avengers with two of the bigger names, you know, Falcon is a smaller name. People aren't going to pay attention to that as much. Well, I. Scarlet Witch. They will. Vision, they will. Those were uh, hardcore Avengers. I look at um, what they're doing on Disney Plus right now with uh, with all the upcoming shows. Aside from, I would say, aside from Loki, I think this theory fits of, like, I think they're looking at Disney Plus of, like, as kind of a, like, a beta run for some of these characters because mm. Wanda... Wanda in her own right, yeah, we knew because we hyperanalyze all this stuff, we knew how powerful Wanda was, but to the average viewer, I mean, she was she came in on Ultron and then she was mm -hmm. uh, a big part of Civil War, but then she's not really involved with uh yeah. with Infinity War. She's basically relegated to being around Vision until the last 20 minutes and then yeah, uh, and then she comes hey, in the last part of in game as well, and so I'm I'm thinking of they have they know they have they have a huge stable of characters, and so they are going to use them in every way they can. And if they think that they some characters can be big box office hits, then they want to test them before they invest all this money and potentially have themselves a dud. I think at this point it's more about, and that's especially what it was during Phase Two. It really felt like more of um we need to feed the machine and just pump out as much money as we can i think phase three they kind of mm. rolled that thinking back a little bit and now i think with disney plus they're like okay yeah. iron man is gone captain america is gone we need we need new new players we need a testing ground to see who who gets the biggest response and so I think with, with aside from Loki, I think Loki is kind of established on his own at this point. But they have they have She Hulk coming out. They have um, mm. Shang Chi and the Ten Ring, Ten yeah, Ten Rings coming out this year as well. And so I don't know. I know very little about She Hulk. I know nothing about Shang Chi. And so yeah, I know a little on both of them. I'm with you. I know a little bit more about She Hulk, but not as much. Yeah. So. And so. I think what they're doing with I'm okay with these being limited series runs of now we know that Wanda is marketable. We know that vision is important to fans. And so this is a, this is a perfect t uh, lead into what I want to talk about of is Wanda going to be this phase's big bad because this universe has proven that they will they will do things to try and corral any type of threat that they they deem is uh, credible mm. with the Sokovia Accords after her 
yeah. after the Avengers actions. And then I think that was precipitated by what happened in, um, I think it was Lagos, where they were, it was the start of Civil War where they were fighting Crossbones and she sent a bomb up into the air and blew up like two floors worth of people. And so yep. the, yeah. the government in this world has proven that they will do things to try and handcuff these people or keep them in check. And so she just hijacked the whole town. She kidnapped them, yep. held them oh, against yeah. their will. And so I wonder if they're going to come at her Friends. again. Yep. And now that she understands her power and we've seen she is, she's getting read up and she's going to be, yeah, she's, she's going to yeah, be ready for, she, for sure. I mean, she created an alternate personality for them to focus on so that they don't pay attention to the real personality. I, like, yeah, next level stuff. Yeah, I think she has an opportunity to either carry the helm or go against it, right? Like, again, we have an opportunity to take one of our innocent characters that we've created and turn her into this dark witch where she's going to deal with the same things that she's dealt with every single day, but it's relatable to characters. I mean, I've lost all these people, but how do I continue to live on and not just become mm -hmm. a monster and let this power consume me, similar to Phoenix yep. in X-Men? Um, so I think we have an opportunity. I think that she will, because she's already taken this evil helm and done good with it. I think that she has the opportunity to be the next Captain America. I think that she has the opportunity to lead in a way that she doesn't have to be, you know, Superman to lead it, just like kind of Batman did it but just not necessarily having to be the best mm -hmm. of the best all the time. Cause Carol Danvers is our Superman and there's no denying that we can't change it or anything else. We also have to look at that actor's acting ability as well as her fan recognition. You know, just because she is Superman doesn't mean that we can put the entirety of right. the universe on her shoulders. They've already shown that, I mean, her start already, I think she's done a great job, but it's been lackluster to some fans and that's, what's going to be driving a lot of it. And if Elizabeth Olsen is going to be the one that can carry the helm, have the acting chops to back it up and be the right person that can teach younger actors like the new Avengers the way over the next 10 years, even better, man. I mean, that's what a lot of actors did for Elizabeth Olsen, right? So she has an opportunity to do that for a whole new slew of superheroes that they can I bring think in. It's when it comes to these characters and, I call it the Superman problem because they they write Superman to be indestructible, invulnerable, super strength, super speed. They just they loaded him up and then they're like, OK, we got this guy now who can take care of pretty much anything in a matter of minutes. So now we have to figure out how to make this more compelling without compromising what we've already written about the character. And so that's kind of what they did, what they're facing with Captain Marvel of we now have someone who got her powers struck directly from an infinity stone. And so in Endgame, they're like, okay, you know, whatever this big battle is going to be, they're going to have Carol there to help them out. So what do they do? They have to write her off world. Mm -hmm. Like she's in another galaxy. And so yeah. she gets there eventually, but I imagine if she was there from the get go before Thanos even sniffed the infinity gauntlet when he landed it would have been over yeah absolutely i mean it's the whole like it's the journey right yeah. fly you fools like yeah they could have flown from the beginning <laughs> <laughs> but they never would have made it to mordor by the end 
Yeah, it was the whole buildup. I think that we also don't really get to see a whole lot of what Carol Danvers is dealing with because yeah. she's on a whole nother level, you know? It's just like Superman doesn't have the time to save one village that, that's on fire when an entire city is, you know, going down. And I think Carol Danvers probably had to do that. We just don't get to see that. And it brings it back to that point that you had mentioned earlier about we're in a whole new realm of power levels, right? We got to really figure out where everybody stands because Scarlet Witch is on a new level. Carol mm-hmm. Danvers on a new level. And I'd be curious to see what was more important for Carol Danvers to be taken care of because she said, and it's even referenced in the film, oh, I had some other stuff I had to take care of is what she says. Like, clearly that was more important. We just don't know what it was or why she was there. And well, I think Carol even has a line of saying that there are other worlds who have lost just as much and they they yeah. have avengers so yeah absolutely and and that's what i'm saying there's these other worldly bad guys that are you know taking apart planets yeah. that are bigger than earth out there but we don't ever get to see these battles of hers and i don't think that we really will because those are the type of battles that would be on a grand scale of say like the green lantern Corps, right um which is take a lot of cgi and a lot of good actors yeah. to back it up to do it right and that's one that I really hope they get to do one day. But with Carol Danvers, I think they brought her in at the right time. And I think that her and Scarlet Witch have an opportunity to take the helm. Yeah, I think, well, just on the tangent, like what you said with the Green Lanterns, they have something slated for HBO Max. They're going to be doing, yeah, they're going to be oh, doing nice. an HBO. They're going to be doing like a limited series. No, do what? <laughs> I'm a big nerd. Yeah. I'm a big nerd for the Green yeah. Lantern Corps, so I can't wait. Because even they had a small, I mean, they had the Green Lantern reference in the Justice League, Zack Snyder's stuff, too, which is really cool. Because, I mean, there's so much cool content within the Green Lantern Corps, and that's interplanetary, interdimensional, again, on the level of Carol Danvers, which we can't really comprehend or fathom. The only other person that could mm-hmm. would be Doctor Strange, who, again, is on the power level of... Carol Danvers, he's Sorcerer Supreme, yep. you know. With he's worried about Dora <laughs> Like we're all here, like worried about like half of our people dying, and he's like, I'm just trying to help keep this existence like yeah running. Yeah, they okay? got um, yeah Falcon and Winter Soldier handling a um, terrorist while um, the Guardians are fighting a exiled uh, accuser who has an Infinity Stone at his disposal, like. Everyone's got their yeah. that they got to yeah. deal with. <laughs> we all have our roles, right? I get it. We all got our jobs. Everything's important from the janitor As Rocket to the said, CEO. Everyone has dead people. So it just, yeah. yeah um, that's true. So as we're kind of wrapping up and talking about um, uh, our thoughts on the show, was there a moment in the show that just – it, it clicked with you on a real level. Like it could, it, it can be like a real emotional moment or it could just be something visual, something fun that they did. Is there a moment in the show that really stuck out to you when you were watching it? Hmm. You know, I think the, the moment again, and it leans towards Paul Bettany's acting ability was when he gave that hmm. quote about grief, you know, I mean, I mean, he, he brought so much into that moment and I, I, as someone who's a deep thinker too, and who's a big nerd, thought on so many levels about how a a being that was a robot tries to empathize with somebody 
who is a human. And usually you wouldn't even put those two in the same realm. And I really like that scene that they shared together as well as uh, a couple of the early scenes for Agnes, where you could tell things were off and you just had those Mm -hmm. like WTF moments. I think they did a really good job with that. And then the final thing is the color palette that they used throughout the whole thing. I thought that was awesome too. They did a great job of uh, foreshadowing and a couple other things with the blue and the purples uh, and then kept everything kind of consistent with some of the reds and the classic vision and classic mm-hmm. Wanda costumes. Yeah. Those are definitely yeah. highlights. I think those are, those are really good moments. Yeah. That, um, that grief line, people who are watching that show, I bet you there's a, a lot of people who need to hear something like that because the, it's hard to, philosophize if you will about things that we don't have a complete understanding of at all times and so when the the thing that you like the pop culture that you're into starts kind of trying to edge that door open of trying to broaden your mind or talk about something bigger Mm. than just you know big bright lights and big explosions um it it talks it goes all the way back to what i was saying about this whole show of like it starts loud and boisterous and in your face and then as it progresses it starts to narrow down and it starts sending its message to you in a much more meaningful way and uh at a Mm -hmm. certain point you kind of you put the phone down and you start kind of paying attention a little more it's like wow i didn't know i needed to hear that but i heard it and i'm i'm reeling from it now and yeah that's a that's a good one um the 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 one for me was and this goes again to like i was so expectant of whatever they were going to do it was going to include um x-men was i it was either episode four or five i can't remember which one it was but they had sent they had sent a drone in and they were going to they fired a missile on Wanda and it, it cut you know cut back to the team the sword team and everything was black they didn't know what was going on and then mm-hmm. Wanda leaves the hex and they have guns trained on her and uh you know you see you see the line of sights all focused on her and then in true X like it's like an uncanny moment of like in X-Men lore, Pietro and Wanda are actually Magneto's children. And the scene, mm. this particular scene, she flip, she uses her powers and flips all the guns onto that sword director. I can't remember his name, but, but yeah, but yeah, Tyler Hayward. Exactly yeah. like from the first X-Men when Magneto is leaving the train station mm-hmm. and they have the 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 cops are there and he uses his powers pulls all the guns from them and then trains them on uh the cops themselves and i'm like okay they are they are making whether it's unintentional i'm pretty sure it wasn't i'm like they are making references to the (laughs) x-men this is happening i i i don't know how this is happening yeah and uh they must be doing it in small yeah. ways, just like the Easter eggs that yeah, we've been talking that, about, dude. That's a great find, yeah. And a lot of people mm-hmm. don't know that they're the daughters either. Uh, there are the children of Magneto in other realms, because usually you kind of follow one storyline. And I'm really hoping throughout this podcast, a lot of people learn 
a little bit more than maybe what's what's just on TV because we are the ones that do you know dig deep and dive and, and research to find out all the small details and how it all fits together. So yeah, leading especially about mental health and coping. Again, we all do that same thing when we go through loss. Like you grab your favorite TV show and sit on the couch. Like uh-huh. that's all she wanted to do to try to get through it. She just couldn't control that her subconscious yeah. was making yeah. that I into think with, reality. Um, uh, with the marketing and everything, I was just so amped to see what it actually was. And I was just, I was gearing up for Mm -hmm. the most um, unlikely scenarios of like, yeah, they just finished in game. I think this was the first Marvel property we got since in game with, with maybe, um, I think maybe far from home. They have plans. They have the rights to the X Men. There's no way that they aren't going to bring them in. And then, and I look back on it now. It's like they're mm-hmm. they're they're just going to plant the seeds. Okay, that's what they did with Iron Man. They they gave us yeah. a sprinkle at the very end of that Sunday. And so it's the same thing here, where they are making yeah. obvious nods to the X Men. And I'm just I will wait patiently, but they better deliver. <laughs> Yeah, man. You, I mean, we have to yeah. because, again, it's too direct. I mean, some of these things are just too obvious. Quicksilver in our universe? What the heck? Exactly. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I agree with your 9 out of 10 assessment. I think uh, um, for their for their first uh, show out of the gate, um, they really they hit on a lot of uh, a lot of big things, big ideas, and, you know, are kind of resetting the whole the whole mcu not not in a huge way but basically like okay we probably a lot of phase four is going to be a lot of uh dealing with the fallout you know spider-man far from home was peter considering Mm -hmm. what his life is like now that iron man's gone uh falcon and winter soldier trying to come to grips with their their identity uh without steve there anymore and so wandavision is i think Mm -hmm. really set up this whole it goes back to the big themes that they that they're trying to bring into uh this mcu of like where do we go from here yeah and i think that they've gotten a good group too because i was real worried thinking back about how they said you know the next avengers will be you know you know, Falcon and, and, and Wanda. And I'm like, okay, yeah, Wanda's kind of cool, but it could have made or break it, right? And this is what also provides legitimacy legitimacy to mm-hmm. the entire phase four that they want to do, uh, especially some of yep. those lesser-known movie titles that you mentioned earlier. Because if those don't have a strong following like everything else, at least Iron Man had a lot of comics and T-shirts and stuff that followed it, you know, when, when we were kids and other people too in TV shows. But if they don't have a big following... Sometimes people just don't show up. And I think that a lot of people showed up for WandaVision. So with that, I think we got episode one in the books, man. I think I think, I think, think we uh, we pretty nice. much crushed it on every single level. We dressed to impress. You are welcome, and America. Y'all can basically take this one to the bank. You, <laughs> if you, If you have the means, you know, mark this down as the day. The day that you heard Culture Society of America. Thanks for tuning in.